You're listening to the CD Baby. CD Baby. CD Baby DIY Musician Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 122 of the CD Baby DIY Musician Podcast. My name is Kevin Bruner, your host for the show, and today you'll be hearing from artist manager Steve Rennie. Steve Rennie is a longtime industry veteran who is well known for his role in helping the band Incubus reach multi-platinum status. With Incubus taking a bit of hiatus, Steve decided to turn his efforts towards helping mentor independent artists who are trying to find their way in the music business. You can see the result of his mentoring efforts at his website, renmanmb.com and uh, we'll be hearing about that more details on what he's doing there and his experience as an artist manager in my interview with Steve so let's get to it so joining me is Steve Rennie Steve how you doing I'm doing great thanks Kev for having me on your fine podcast Uh, you are welcome and uh, you have done just so much in the music business over the years and uh, I came across you recently because you have your own uh, video podcast or video show and uh, I was fortunate enough to be a guest on it and enjoy the time and just have been learning a lot about what you're doing but tell us about what you've been doing in the music business you've just worn many hats and yeah well thankfully I've had a nice uh, I've had a great career in the music business it's been a ton of fun uh, I started um, back in college as a college booker, booking concerts at uh, Santa Monica College and then at USC. Um, from there, I decided, about that time, I decided I wanted to be in the music business, and, and uh, it seemed like something fun, and I'd had a lot of experience. So I uh, tried to get my first job in the music business, uh, struck out big time, couldn't get arrested. Um, <laughs> so I uh, started my own company way back when called Steve Rennie Presents. It was a concert promotion company. I did that for a couple of years. I was lucky enough to meet some finance guys that wanted to be in the rock and roll business. And I've met a fun- bunch of those folks out here today or this past couple of days at South by Southwest as well. Uh, anyway, um, started my own concert company, did that for a couple of years and got hired by a big company in town called Avalon Attractions, which um, was now is now part of Live Nation. But they were the preeminent uh, promoter in Los Angeles, California, or the whole Southern California area. So that was great experience. It was something uh, that I really, really enjoyed. Still love going to concerts. Still love watching people show up at events. We were talking a bit earlier about uh, what a monster this South by Southwest is. Yes, so the is. old promoter in me looks out there, you know, <laughs> jealously, I suppose. Anyway, uh, from there, I decided that I would be a manager, and I, I quit being a promoter after about seven years of doing that, and then became a manager. Handled, uh, oh God, six or seven bands at one time, and uh, and that led to, ironically, not to any big successes as a manager, sadly, but it did uh, lead me to um, Epic Records. So I went to work at Epic Records, where it was a chance for me to learn about the, the record side of the business. I uh, worked at Sony Music for four years. I was the uh, senior VP general manager of Epic Records, uh, where I was involved with a lot of the touring bands. And it's in a twist of fate, I suppose, is where I met my friends in Incubus. Mm-hmm. And so for the last um, 16, almost 17 years now, um, I've been managing Incubus with one little pit stop in between. I was involved in an early internet startup called Artist Direct uh, that was started, you know, it was really conceived by a friend of mine named Mark Geiger, who's a mm-hmm. real you know, music industry visionary, and I don't use that word loosely, 
Um, and uh, we did that for a couple of years. And anyway, I transitioned to managing ink business, which is what I do now. It's my day gig is how I like to refer <laughs> to it, or my night gig. Actually, day for me, night for them. And, uh, and when you're managing one band as opposed to 20, you get some time off when the bands are on break. And so Incubus is on a bit of a break, and I've had this wacky idea in my head for years to uh, do some kind of online business uh, where I could share some of my experience uh, in the music business with young people that are starting off because I really, uh, I really in, enjoy talking to young people. I'm fired up when I talk to young people that are just starting off on mm -hmm. uh, their mission in life. And so for me, maybe it's a, a reminder of you know, what a great time I had doing it, and I love sharing the, the front end of it again. Yeah, well, uh, reading about your story, Online, it sounds like you had some folks mentor you along the way, and mm -hmm. it just seems kind of fitting that you're kind of sort of mentoring the, the music community, giving back a little. Yeah, well, it's, it's true. And I think, um, you know, in whatever business you're in, you know, I think you're, you'd be lucky to have some people to take an interest in you and, and before there's any real value in you as a, as a business person. And so I was fortunate, fortunate my whole life, really, that I've had people that... Um, took an interest in what I was doing that saw something in me that they liked and, and, and were, were gracious enough to share with me some of their experience. And I've had so many you know, terrific folks over the years, but there were a couple early on in my career that really helped shape my mentality uh, about the business. And, and, and so a lot of those lessons I've wind up sharing or re-sharing re in my own way with people uh, you know, that are either looking to be you know, music professionals or they're musicians like yourself that um, are looking to do something great you know, from an artistic side. And uh, so um, I think that whole mentoring thing is important. And I think one of, the great, one of the great things about the internet that I see is that it used to be location was such an issue. If you wanted to learn, you had to be in the same room with somebody you had, to, if you were back in, when I started, you had, you wanted to have a meeting with big person in the music business, X, Y, or Z. It was, you know, you had to go through the secretary. There was a whole gatekeeping process to it. And so with the technology today and the streaming technology and what we're doing here today, um, the ability to share knowledge, you know, in a, in a big worldwide way, is is as easy as you ask a question i answer we put it up and people share so mm -hmm. i'm happy to do it uh from a kind of big picture you know give back point of view but i i'm also going to be honest it's just a lot of fun for yeah. me yeah and i do things that are fun <laughs> if i can that's good and i would advise that for anybody well uh i don't believe that we've ever had an artist manager on the podcast before so i'd love to dive into kind of just even what the role is. I think that with the independent artists, I, I always come across them, they're like, hey, uh, we got a manager, and it's usually somebody's brother or friend or parent. It's, it's really, it doesn't, it, it seems like they're the person answering the email. That's what it comes down to, but there's a lot of confusion, like, when do you need a manager? What does a manager actually do? And, and how they work on your behalf. Yeah, well, I'll say this. Um, there is no, as far as I'm aware of, actually there are, there are attempting to be a few schools that try to teach management. Um, but I, I'll say there, there's really no school f for being an artist manager, which is good in the sense that anybody can say I'm a manager. And uh, I think uh, you, you mentioned bands and when to get managers and so forth. The truth is um, you'd, be, you'd do well to get a real manager as soon as you can into the mix. But even the... Uh, the person that maybe is not the most experienced but who's well-intentioned 
uh, might actually have some value in the early days just because when you start a band, you, you've been in a band, Kevin, you, know, you sit around the room and the four of you or three, how many people in your band? They're five. They're five. Okay, so the five of you sit around the room and you're like, you know, Robin Hood at the nights, you know, hey, it's one for all, all for one, right? <laughs> and, and we're going to conquer the world. I suspect I was never a musician, but if I was a band member, I flat out would have wanted to be in the biggest band in the world, yeah. I'll tell you that, you know? And so, um, you know, you start off with just that. So any support you get after that is, is, um, is appreciated, I suppose. Um, so, you know, even if you happen to get a young manager or somebody that's inexperienced, that's not necessarily the kiss of death. But, you know, what does a manager do? It's a, it's a tough one. I, it's, um, I, I, I describe it as being part dad, you know, part uh, sheriff, part um, third base coach. Uh, part psychiatrist sometimes, part, you know, uh, the person who has to say the unsable because there needs to be an honest voice with the band. And, and sometimes uh, being honest um, doesn't go down as well as you'd like sometimes, but it's, a, it's an important process of getting, important part of the process of getting better is, is, is critiquing how you could get better. So uh, those are some of the kind of big picture things that managers do on a more practical level. The manager is really the kind of GM, if you will, of your business. And I say your business, if you're a band listening, uh, because that's, you know, while you may not view it in those terms, you know, you want to view it as art and music first. If you're going to be successful as a career, then you have to think about it like a business and you have to approach it that way. So I think it's one of the key functions of a manager is it's easier for a manager, it's easy for somebody like myself to accept that role full stop in, in, in want to perform on all the business functions that are important to building a creative business. You know? And if you're lucky enough to have that, you know, it allows the band to focus more on the creative side. So, um, but it's, it's, it's a difficult one to describe you know, other than that manager, once you have a business, they're in charge of hiring your agent, probably. Uh, they're the one that's going to be, you know, if you get signed to a record deal, they're going to be your main point of interface with the record label. Um, they're going to they're going to be dealing with publicity matters. They're going to be overseeing matters like online and so forth uh, media, which is now a huge part of, of building a band, particularly if you're an independent artist uh, that's just starting out. So. Um, if, if somebody wants to uh, get a better take on that, and I'll be a shameless manager promoter now here, uh, if you go to my little website, renmanmb.com, that's Renman's my nickname, MB, which is musicbusiness.com, we have a, a playlist, a bunch of playlists. I've done a bunch of interviews with not just me talking about being a manager, but some of the top, top managers in the business from Troy Carter, handles Lady Gaga and Pat Magnarella with Green Day to Richard Griffiths crazy Englishman who hired me at Epic Records. He's now the manager of One Direction and Jordan Berliant. And, you know, it sounds like I'm name dropping. I'll forget to my David Benbenisi. But a lot of managers talking about that relationship in what they do. So I would advise folks that are interested to go check it out. Yeah, actually, I uh, listened to one of your podcasts recently, and I forget the guy's name. He's the manager for Imagine Dragons. Uh, Mac Reynolds. Yes, it was a, a great interview just hearing him talk about their story and the things going on behind the scenes to make it happen. So Yeah, yeah. It was that he's a, he's a, there's a lot of smart young managers. There's another guy, Nikki Berger, young guy, 23 years old. We're talking about how do you be a manager. Nikki was decided one day, heard a band that wasn't even called Group Love at the time. They were un, unnamed, heard a tape, 
and decided he needed to be their manager now. I asked him, I said, Nikki, how much manager experience did you have prior to announcing that you were a manager? The answer was zero, right? <laughs> and, uh, but he had a passion for the band, and Nikki also had a passion for asking questions for things that he didn't know. He was smart enough and secure enough in his own skin to go out and seek out that information. So uh, I get really excited talking to these young managers too because it, it's a, you know, it really is like manager's camp and then I think even somebody ex more experienced like myself with these young guys, I can learn some new tricks and perhaps they can learn some new tricks. So um, I'm glad you checked it out. Yeah. It was a lot of fun for me doing those. Yeah. What, at what point was Incubus in their career when you came on board as their manager? Uh, it sounds like a rock fairy tale. Um, but I, I was working at uh, Epic Records. I was a senior vice president general manager. And the way it worked there, if you were trying to get a band signed to the label, is if you were an A&R guy, which are our talent scouts, you needed to get one senior level dude or dudette on board um, to kind of work that through the machine. Because it's not like you know, when you're signing to a big company, you need to have some champions in the place. So. Um, I was introduced to Incubus by one of our young A&R guys. You know, I loved the band at first. I will say that in their early days, they weren't chock full of what would have been a radio hits right then, but they had all the prerequisites in my mind, which was a great front man, great singer, great presence, and a great guitar player, great drummer at the time, they had a bass player in the band who since left the band, but who was just had a big rock vibe to him. And so uh, I loved everything about him from the time I first saw him and helped get him signed to the label. Um, the first two and a half years there with the label, I was just working there, but I was in, I was in, that was an in-house manager's why they hired me. And the manager at the time was a nice enough guy. Um, I'll just say didn't have the, the, the requisite skills to be the manager. He might have been part of that guy you were talking about earlier that was called himself the manager, but as the game, moved on a bit, might have moved out of his league a little bit. So the joke inside Epic was, you know, Rennie, are you working for Sony or are you working for the band? And I think um, in a twist of fate or serendipity, uh, that question was answered a couple of years later when I left the company and uh, Mike Einziger, the guitar player, my good friend, um, called me. I left on a Friday to go to work at this company, Artist Direct, I talked about. And uh, he called me on Saturday and said, dude, you got to be our manager. And I said, well, have you talked to your manager about that? And he goes, no, but we will. And uh, he didn't, but I did. And the rest is kind of history. It kind of brings up a, an interesting point because I kind of had the same experience with the band that I was in that was signed. There was this, you know, guy that was managing the band. It was, it was instrumental in, in helping things get off the ground, but it was kind of came to a point where it's like this guy obviously isn't the guy that can take us to the next level i mean how do you how do you how when you're working with people and trying to build a team and and have some things going how do you find the the right person i mean what what kind of things should you be looking for um i think you know if, if things you should be looking for i think experience and i say this i know that i'm talking to a lot of young people and uh and having been a young cocky, arrogant little fuck myself when I first started. Um, um, experience, you know, I used to bag on all the old guys in the business, right? I mean, fuck those guys, right? Yeah. What, what do they know? He's just playing golf or smoking a cigar, right? And what I came to find over the years is that experience is a hugely valuable asset. 
And I think the, the, the bitch about experience is that it takes time to acquire experience. You can't read it in a book. You can't watch enough videos um, to take the place of your own experience in the moment, in a situation where there's no chance for a mulligan. You are playing this one for the money right now, right? And so experience is, is important in a manager. Um, you know, a passion and enthusiasm for your band is important as well. But I mentioned experience first because if somebody didn't have the same passion in the way that an artist wanted them to have it, but they knew all the buttons to push, um, that could still be a successful relationship because the band would be in charge of the inspiration and the manager would be in charge of getting the most out of it, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, so those are the things, the, the two key elements, I think, at the outset. What, what cements a relationship and what makes it work over time, and I think you would, if you ask all the managers that have been with their artists for 15, 20 years and you'd be a high level of successful bands, I think the thing that ultimately holds it together is trust. You have to trust each other. And so for me, with my friends in Incubus, um, while we've certainly had some you know, difficult moments over the years, um, I think the fact that we all trust each other implicitly at a core level. I trust them to make the music. I don't dictate them what to do on the music. I'll certainly have an opinion, but it's usually when they're done, not during the process. And I think over the years, they've um, come to trust me pretty much full stop on the, on the business side of things. And that's not to say that we both don't give some commentary about each side, you know, the music, and they give me some commentary on the business side. But um, I think in general it works because we, we trust each other to do what we do best. Mm -hmm. You mentioned you know, giving commentary on business side and the, the music side. How much um, involvement is the band with day-to-day -day decisions? I mean, are, are you always like having to get the sign-off from the band? Or, or is it, is it there's certain things that you're just like making things happen, just like they're making the music happen? Or is you know, what is that back and forth yeah, like? I, I, I think truthfully, it's, uh, it's evolved over the years. I think um, in the earlier days, um, when they were, I met these guys when they were 19 years old, they were still teenagers. And I think in the early days, um, you know, it, it, the, the, the decision process probably moved faster. They would defer, you know, not because they were being deferential, but because in the early days of a band's career, it's mostly yeses. You know, you, you <laughs> yeah. hope you get asked to do something, yeah. so it's mostly yeses. Um, I think as the band got more successful, I think my role kind of has, has evolved more toward mentor, you know, uh, you know, trusted voice of the, of the business side of it. Uh, because at the end of the day, I remind them frequently that it's their name on the proverbial marquee and literal marquee and uh you know while it's fun to have incubus fans know the manager they're not coming to see me they're nobody's mm -hmm. coming to see scooter braun I hate, I hate to bust your bubble scooter you know um so um all the decisions that are theirs at the end of the day and the big decision decisions we talk about frequently where i've had some moments with the band over the years is on things that i might consider low-hanging fruit mm -hmm. that doesn't need band approval occasionally we'll we'll have a scrap or two about those but it's usually because somebody's in a bad mood not because it was any <laughs> i'm mine too by the way not just the band members you know um where it's not something what I call I, I like to categorize categorize them as either you know career makers or career breakers and everything else is just fucking noise in between and I had a great bit of advice 
from one of my mentors early on in my career, which I've shared with folks and I'll share with your folks, is that you know there's a million things that whisper at you in life. There's only a precious few that scream. Just listen for the screams and you know tune out the rest. And it sounds stupid and silly, but you know think about it a few times. And and for me, I only listen for the screams now. So. <laughs> Well, it's, it's kind of interesting when you're talking about kind of like uh, how the relationship between you and the band has changed over the years. You know, you said they're taking a break. Do you find yourself, I mean, are you guys doing things like more focusing on like licensing or working the catalog in other ways since they're not necessarily out actively touring at the moment? I mean, what, is there a way, especially with a band that's got an established career and, and catalog that's where a new band wouldn't, you know, yeah, are there yeah, things that no. you're doing now that, that, that are different than what if an up-and-coming band you well i think the the, the main difference is, or the, you know, well, I'll, I'll back up a step for the catalog you know if you're a band like incubus and or you sign with a record label you know typically that might be changing a bit as, as things move on but typically when an artist records a record for a label it's no longer their recordings sorry to bust your bubble folks i'm going to cue the freaking violins here and we'll <laughs> pass out some tissues but it's real right so um on the catalog side of it, we've actually done some stuff with sony who we still have a good relationship with um you know and re-released some of our older records on vinyl we've done all the, the typical remastering stuff in fact sony's probably been a little too enthusiastic lately and I have to remind him that Incubus is not actually dead so we don't <laughs> we don't need to release all 26 they're Jimi not, they're Hendrix not records Jimi Hendrix yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly that guy's you more know. prolific than, than him, him and Tupac man Christ man they're bigger dead than alive too bad they can't get them back together for a joint tour somebody's probably working on that as we speak uh, uh, at the moment so that's the stuff that we've done on the catalog side I think on the here and now side of things you know the Incubus guys are all off working on different projects and uh and I'm working on one myself in our kind of off season. So the, the guys in the band are staying active. I think uh, from the band side of it, it's a little trickier when the band takes a break because you can only rehash things so much. And people, I think, um, if a band wants to stay vital, you, you, it can't turn into a reminiscing exercise because reminiscing is for when you're over, not when you're in it. And so, you know, we, we try to keep people up to speed on what the guys are doing. But at the end of the day, I know what, Incubus. If there are any Incubus fans that are watching or listening to your broadcast, I know what they want. They're going to say, Steve, we want to see the band live. And to all those folks, I say, I do too, but I'm not <laughs> in the band. And, and they'll take a break. So uh, keeping active on the social media and stuff and, and keeping out there, I think all the guys, that's the new trick the guys in Incubus have learned, is that when it comes to telling your story, uh, you used to have to depend on radio and media and you do an interview, right? If you were lucky enough to be asking, they would tell you, you know, you'd hope that the guy from Rolling Stone or whatever your local newspaper is tells your story right, interprets the conversation mm -hmm. the way you want. Whereas here we are, I presume, unless you edit the hell out of this, they're going to hit start <laughs> and end and it's going to be, they're going to either love us or hate us and, you know, but we've told our own story, right? And, and so, uh, but the point is, is that, you know, there's this ability to tell your own story is uh is really a powerful one you know and maybe maybe it's just maybe i'm the only one that thinks that because i've had to pitch it so many times through all these gatekeepers that for me it feels liberating for a band to be able to tell their own story now they still have to find somebody that wants to listen to it you know and uh, they have to find clever ways to keep the conversation going so it stays fresh 
Um, but that the ability to tell your own story out there is powerful stuff, folks. So for all you folks who are out there listening, make sure you understand what the story is you're trying to get across and then tell it as many ways and as many times as you can until people get sick of hearing it. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, that we, we say that all the time at CD Baby, and it's just funny how many artists will react. What do you mean tell my story? Yeah, like, well, I'm going to say it. I'm going to piss off some of your artists, you know, in, in the hopes that, you know, this next generation artist, you know, don't be precious as an artist. Too many artists think that, well, I don't do that. I just make art. Well, that's fine. You can just make art. But once you've made that art, you've made that music, um, if having it be heard or seen or appreciated as part of your program, and, and you have to be honest with yourself about that, then if you're not going to be promoting it, I'll ask you who is and, <laughs> and why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, there's always mom. <laughs> mom. Moms will, you know, I, I could paint it. Moms love everything, okay? Moms can't make a career. Moms can tie your shoes and hand you a blue blankie, but they're not going to make you a career, folks. Well, uh, I, I think it's, uh, it would be interesting to get your take on something, kind of the, the state of the business now. Since you started it back in the day in like concert promotion, have worked a number of different places and, and have managed Incubus and just kind of, you know, there's all this talk about bands now are just going to make money being on the road. Me, I, I, I'm like, that's kind of what bands have always done. So if that's yeah. our solution to the problem, it doesn't really... But it just, you've been in the business for a long time. I'm just kind of curious to see kind of your take on where things at. And Well, here, here's, a, here's two things. One, I'll give you a dose of reality. You make money on the road if you're a successful band in other places, okay? Ask any band. Ask, Incubus didn't make any money on the road for real until, you know, this is going to bum some folks out. Realistically, until you're about at the four, five, six thousand seats a night selling those seats, not just playing in front of them, uh, having asses in those seats, you know, it's not a big money maker, okay? Um, for, the, for the bands that are successful, that have managed to, to, to find their way through all the noise and in all the places that it could go wrong, uh, touring is a big part of your income, and it's an important part because um, when you do a show, you get paid. No lawyers, no holdbacks, no, you know, I'll send you the money in 30 days, no worried about, you show up, you get paid. Simple, right? Um, so that, that part has always been important and still important. It's more important today, I think, in some ways, because the record selling side of it is becoming something of a loss leader where that wasn't the case, you know, certainly 10, 15, 30 years ago in, the, in, in what would have been will be looked back and viewed in some ways is the the heyday of the old record selling not yeah. digital file yeah. selling where there were physical records and <laughs> kids like me you mean they sold and, music that way yeah and you took it out of the cover and you looked at it and you know you tried not to scratch it and you you arranged the covers on your desk so that it looked cool and all that stuff that those, those days are or, or, or much different. So that, that was a big part of an artist's income. The other side of it was that a big part of an artist's income was the, the mechanical songwriting royalties they got from selling all those shiny pieces of plastic. So two big, big sources of income for successful artists um, are, are in transition, if I'm being optimistic about it, if I'm being a little more pessimistic, probably wounded, you know, not dead, but fucking wounded, and they ain't going to be running 
at the speeds they used to run. So um, finding new ways to make money is is becomes an issue because for artists to do this as a living, they have to be able to make money at it. And artists, I know all of you are thinking, well, I don't do it for the money. Oh, bullshit, please. If you want to do it for a living, you get paid for doing this, okay? And as long as you're not screwing somebody to do that, it's okay. You haven't sold out. Just tell everybody, this is what I do for a living. I'm a professional musician. So, you know, how do you find these new places of income? Well, you know, old Cy goes out there and makes that kooky video and gets a gazillion views. And now for somebody, probably the label, there's $8 million in video view money. Well, that wasn't there when I was starting. You used to sit there and kiss MTV's ass and labels would pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to have their artists be on the MTV awards. And the labels damn near paid for the MTV awards. But, you know, labels just kept the advertising, not the labels, MTV kept the advertising money. The bands were just supposed to be happy to be there. And when you were done shilling, you were supposed to say, thank you so much, MTV. I so appreciate this. <laughs> the opportunity to make you guys $500 million. Can I kiss your ass on both cheeks, right? Those days are gone, okay? Um, and so now that's a new source of income. But it's you know, still going through a label, so some of that needs to get sorted out. This whole notion of artists, you know, more so pop artists than, than rock and other genres that are getting in business, selling clothes, selling perfumes, you know, selling me stuff. When I started the business, that was like, no, there's no, particularly I've worked on the rock side, you know, specifically, but you, you know, no self-respecting rock band would do that, right? Or so they thought, right? Yeah. So things are changing, but two big sources of income that have been traditional big buckets for artists, um, have gotten a lot thinner <laughs> in these days and I think it's still playing out and for me it's interesting to watch it play out because I suppose in some regards I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a member of the old boys club and I, and I recognize that but, I, but I'm strangely fascinated and interested in how the game plays out still partly because I still manage a band partly because my manager mentality tells me go and find the things that are working Steve Rennie, you're not an artist. You're a freaking manager. Your, your job is to find out what's working, figure out what parts of it can work for your guys, and then do it. Uh, so I'm not a rock critic, you know, in that sense. I, I, you know, that's why we talked. Yeah, well, look to check your stuff. You guys are helping artists sell records. Okay, that's good enough for me. I don't need to know all the science. I don't algorithms. Please spare me. If it works, I'm in. <laughs> if it doesn't work, I'm over it quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're all trying to figure out what's working, and um, and and some things haven't changed at all, Kevin. You still need great songs. You need great performances. If you can't write your own great songs and you're just a great singer, vocal performer, you can still make it, you know. Um, but if you don't have great songs and you don't have great performances, I don't know how you build a career because those are the linchpins of the music business and that hasn't changed one iota. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I would agree. I would agree that it doesn't matter how good you are on Twitter and uh, all this, you know, you can make some kooky videos and get noticed, but at the end of the day, a long kind of sustainable career, there's got to be good music. Yeah, it's funny, man. I had this wacky thought. I shouldn't share this with people that don't know me, but, you know, I see. <laughs> uh, I, but like I say, I'm, I'm watching as a voyeur in some ways to all the, the pop culture today, right? So I'm sitting in front of the, uh, I was some I, I, you know i have this strange almost like you know train wreck fascination i guess with the kardashians because you can't fucking escape them right so i see this thing the other morning 
of her getting some kind of weird facial treatment. It was called like the, the what do they call it, the vampire look where they somehow cut her face and then inject her blood back into her skin. So she tweets a picture of her, you know, with the blood all over her face. And I'm sitting there watching now, what is the freaking point here, right? So now you wonder how this all got. I'm sitting and I've seen all these other tweets of her in the bed in the morning, like she just wakes up looking perfect. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Come on, let's get real, right? So today I'm sitting in front of, standing in front of the mirror in my, my underwear, shaving, and for some strange reason, Kim Kardashian came in my mind. I thought, if I was Kim, I would take a picture of me shaving. And I almost did it, right? And I almost thought about starting a hashtag, if I was Kim Kardashian, <laughs> and just start putting wacky pictures because I thought, as is, is crazy as is, a 57-year-old guy standing in front of the mirror in his shorts, as stupid as that is, somebody would think that's funny and send it around <laughs> to everybody, right? Yeah. But would that make me a star or an artist? I, maybe, but is that, I don't know. It's, it seems strange. So if you, more of that story, folks, is if you're a real musician, and your music is supposed to do the talking. You do this socializing stuff in context. <laughs> yeah, there you right. go. <laughs> All right, but meanwhile, maybe we should start with, I wish I could be Kim. Hashtag. If, if, if I go. was Kim, you said. If, if, I, <laughs> if I was Kim, there you go. Thank you. That's much tighter. If I was Kim, I'm going to start one today. I think I may go back after we're done and take that picture <laughs> with me go. in my See, it's all jockey set up anyway, shorts. So it yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, there you actually go. Actually, <laughs> name your band, If I Was Kim. There you go. There you go. Well, uh, Kind of to close out the podcast. Well, I shut you right down on that no, one. No, I no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We could go on all day about okay. that stuff, but no. I just, I just, you want to be respectful of your time. I know you're running off to. He's afraid people. of Kim Kardashian. That's, that's right. The it's gone south. You bail when you're in the Kim. <laughs> 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 no, I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about what you've been doing with your website, and okay. and uh, that's how you know. Like I said at the, at the beginning of the interview, that's how I came across you, and. And uh, it seems like you got some cool stuff, some great interviews and uh, information that you're kind of helping artists learn about the music business. Well, I'll try to give you my one-minute elevator pitch, okay. which will probably be two, okay? Who cares? It's the Internet. Um, I, I, I had this wacky idea for years to start some kind of online business where I could, you know, attempt to mentor young musicians and... Uh, and folks that are interested in being in music pros. So, you know, with Incubus Break, I decided to do it. And the site was, you know, called, I'm not a great namer of sites, it's called renmanmusicandbusiness.com. We came up, tried to come up with some sexy ones, but they didn't really tell what it is. So, um, and it's really for people that are on the music or the business side of things. And so what I did was I put up these little videos that were really kind of thoughts that have, you know, been banging around and certainly the Incubus guys have heard a lot of these over the years. Kind of partly on the big picture of how to get your head in the right place to do something great in the music business because I'm I just know that having the great attitude is so important to get through all the highs and lows of the music business if you don't have your head in the right place this is a this this business will make mince meat out of people He's, Kevin's nodding his head over there <laughs> um, so that was one level I and mean, the second level was that it occurred to me over the years that folks really don't have a clue about how the music business really runs you know they don't understand the nuts and bolts of it the the plumbing is as I affectionately refer to it so we did a bunch of videos on that um, what 
what's different now is that for me, in the back of my mind, I always wanted it to be more than just a conversation from my perspective. The way to make it great was I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could have a conversation about the record business with people that have had a bunch of experience, to my comments earlier about experience, to people that are on the front end of it that are more fueled with enthusiasm um, than experience, but who, have, who bring a unique perspective because they're living in this world today and they've grown up in the world that we're living in today, whereas I've you know, been around longer and seen a bit more. And, and so that winds up being helpful and winds up being baggage in some regards as well. So I started this website and, and it evolved into these weekly webcasts we're doing. We have a show, again, not the greatest name in the world, but it is what it is. It's called Rent Man Live. And it's, uh, we do a live broadcast Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays at 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock. I invite all kinds of friends of mine in the music business from grizzly old veterans that are running big record companies um, to young folks that are starting off uh, we've interviewed a gal who started in the William Morris Endeavor mailroom um, and everybody in between and it's been a ton of fun for me not just to talk to some of my old buddies and have them share and they have and there's some great advice there from some very smart people but what's been really the kind of bonus for me is talking to people like yourself and I'm not just saying this because you're here you know I'm, I'm interested to see how the business looks from 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 your perspective, from the perspective of people just starting off. I had a great meeting today with some young kids that were starting off and had a business they're trying to build around fan experiences. So they had kind of a, what I'll call a romantic notion. And I provided some, you know, reality-based thought to that conversation for him. I would have, and, I would have loved to have heard that yeah, conversation. I, told, I, I, might have I think there. I know who you're talking about. The guys from Toonsie? Yeah, they were great. They, yeah. Two young guys that left the job in the finances business to say, fuck it, I'm doing this. They're going to be in the music business. And I love that. I, you don't know how much I love that. It's the attitude I love, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, so if you're looking to learn about the music business, um, go to RenmanMusicAndBusiness.com, www.RenmanMB.com for short. Um, spend some time on the site. Click on the live stream uh, tab, and you can see, you know, we've done 50-some-odd shows. We spotlight not just music business types, but people that are in the music business doing, you know, doing the legwork, doing the groundwork. You guys are like the linemen of the music business now, going out and helping artists distribute their music, finding ways to promote their music, doing it digitally, getting them in to all the places where they get to compete against the millions of other artists mm -hmm. there, you know? And so we, we we're trying to get all the players involved in the conversation that really will shape whatever the next incarnation of the music business is, the, folks like yourself are going to shape that and uh, and the one thing I'm hopeful about and I'll end on this for you is that you know there's so much doom and gloom about the music business and it is tough and it's always been tough and it's probably gotten tougher but there's never been more music being made and played and shared around the world than there is today and I have great hope that you know when you put people's passion for music and context and maybe re-educate them a little bit about the value of it and the value of artists that we will find a new business and, and look back fondly on the, what, what I would consider the good old days, you know, <laughs> but find out that it was always the same thing. People love music and they want to get their hands on it. And I think over time people will understand that, you know, to, to have great music, you got to support it. Yeah. Well, that is a great, great uh, comment to end on. And thank you for taking time out of your, your day to, to sit with me on the thank, podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was fun. Yep. Yeah.
Well, that's going to do it for another edition of the CD Baby DIY Musician Podcast. Be sure to check out Steve's website uh, as there's an enormous amount of interviews there, and I know you'll enjoy them. Lots of videos. He does a live streaming show. Just check it out. Also, remember, if you have a question that you'd like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at cdbaby.com. Also, our listener line is 360-524-2209. Again, that's 360-524-2209. Please call us. Leave your questions, comments. Tell us about who you are, things you'd like us to cover on the podcast. Um, Just try to keep it brief, and uh, that way we can get on the show. And thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the CD Baby DIY Musician Podcast, broadcasting from Portland, Oregon, USA.